persistence pay off in a big way. Some of us are persistent when we want to get something accomplished. Some of us really don't care. But uh, those who are persistent get a, a big thrill when they see something pay off for them in a big way that they were persistent at. And I'm sure all of us have had that experience at some particular point in, or another, and we would have known the thrill of that. But David? I saw it in my son, Richard Albrecht, my good capital office. I saw the heavy, heavy, heavy opposition. I mean, they had him in the Supreme Court. They, they had him charged with all kinds of stuff. They had him storing weapons and grenades in the property, trying to stop cat bombs. <laughs> they, had him, they said he was going to start a conspiracy. They said everything in the world against him. See, now that's a good example right there. And he kept plugging in good where he is now. Yep, yep, that's a good example of persistence. Now, now I got to say this, them saying people, most of them that came against him, have now been up there helping build the camp. They've been up working with him. Mm-hmm. And they saw what was going on. That's the way God works. Oh, yeah. And God always have the last laugh. Always. You have the ones that are, that are doing something against him come in and help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a and so we see persistence pay off in a big way when we stick with it. Okay, let's have someone read the Bible meets life on page 30. Wax on, wax off. The Karate Kid was a popular movie in the 80s. It was about a teenager named Daniel LaRusso who moved to a new city with his mother, only to be bullied and didn't have rapidity. After Daniel meets a karate teacher named Mr. Zaghi, he becomes enthusiastic about learning how to fight his way toward respect. Uh, Daniel comes to Mr. Miyagi, sorry, Miyagi's home, ready to kick and punch, but Mr. Miyagi only hands him a water bucket and a rag. He tells Daniel to wash and wax his car. Later, he hands Daniel a paintbrush and instructs him to paint his fence using very specific up and down motions. Daniel becomes frustrated, but he obeys. Only later does Daniel realize the motions he learned from waxing the car and painting the fence have taught him the fundamentals of karate. God calls us to a life of persistent trust and obedience. <clears throat> and sometimes that obedience may be displayed in unconventional ways. God desires to accomplish his mission through us and build our faith in the process, just as he did with Joshua. Okay, look at the, the point of the lesson. Or the point of the study at the top of page 30. What does it say? Leaders keep doing. They don't start and stop. They don't uh, get discouraged and quit. Throw in the towel. Leaders keep doing what God tells them to do. And we're going to see how that works when we look at how Joshua responded to God's plan. Okay, let's have someone read the first five verses uh, on page 31, please. How Jericho was strongly fortified because of the Israelites. No one leaving or entering. The Lord said to Joshua, Look, I have handed Jericho its king and its fighting men over to you. March around the city with all the men of war, playing this, circling the city one time. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry seven rams, horn, trumpets in front of the ark. But on the seventh day, march around the city seven times. 
while the priest blew the trumpet. Then there is a prolonged blast of the horn, and you hear its sound. How all the people give a mighty shout. Then the city wall will collapse, and the people will advance, each man straight ahead. Okay, so in verse 1, we see the first major obstacle to possessing the promised land for the children of Israel. Once the people had crossed the Jordan River, was a fortress, there was a fortress of Jericho. And so they, they, they didn't get into the land and then they were home free. Once they crossed the river and got into the land, there was an obstacle that they had to encounter. Jericho was, was an oasis city located to the west of the Jordan River, approximately eight miles north of the Dead Sea. It served as a border town and was one of the oldest, if not the oldest city in the world. And notice the phrase, Jericho was strongly fortified. See that phrase? It indicates the inhabitants had taken extensive measures to secure that city. The security measures were so intense that no one was leaving and no one was getting in. Okay, so no one was getting out and no one get, was getting in. That's how strong and fortified the security of that city was. And then in verse 2, we notice the Lord confirmed that Jericho, its king and its fighting men, the entire political military establishment of the enemies had been handed over, had been, past tense, had been handed over to Joshua. Remember that song that uh, somebody sings, says, the battle is not yours, the battle is the Lord's? Example right here of it. The Hebrew verb from here indicates an accomplished fact. God says, you, you, you want you to do this, but consider it already done. Okay, so we see how important it is to stick to God's plan. What Joshua and the people wanted to see, God had accomplished already. Jericho, the seemingly impenetrable fortress, was defeated. The name Lord, notice the name Lord, it appears in capitals, right? Signifying the use in the Hebrew of the, of the covenant name of God, Yahweh. That's God's covenant name, reminding us that He is a covenant-keeping God. Whatever He promised, He's going to do it. The name's appearance in this context establishes the entire episode at Jericho as a covenant venture of God. Verse 3, God gives his marching orders, calling for the Israelites to march around the city with all of the men of war, circling the city one time and to do it for six days. Now these circuit marches were they were ceremonial in nature. And uh, rather than being a standard military maneuvers. And so God says, Listen, this is what I know. You would look at that on the surface and say, Boy, this is stupid. You know, why do we have to do this? This really doesn't make any kind of sense at all. On the surface, it may seem silly and dangerous to the Israelite army and probably even to us when we look back on it and see. Even worse, God commanded them to do this for six days. In the end, God was more concerned that his people focus on him by obediently acting on his commands than he was concerned about any meaningful resistance on the part of the Jericho forces. So God wasn't concerned more with the forces. He was concerned by giving these instructions. He was more concerned with seeing how obedient his people were going to be. 
even though it didn't seem to make any kind of sense to them at all. Now, how many times have we done that in our experience? God tells us to do something, and we think it's silly. It's stupid. Remember the leper who wanted to be healed, and, uh, and he went to the, to the, to the prophet. The prophet said, tell him what God told him to do. Go, go. What, what are you telling him to do? Washington. Washington. He says, man, this is, this, is, this is disrespectful. At least he could show up and, and, and do something else. Okay? He thought it was silly. And so God was more concerned with obedience than anything else. And then, uh, verse 4, as part of the military procession, seven priests were to carry seven ram's horns, trumpets in the front of the ark. And this detail of God's instructions cast the entire plan in a different, entirely different light altogether. The Israelites had just experienced how raging the waters of the flooded Jordan River had been how that, those waters have been halted. God did that. They entered the promised land, walking on dry ground, not in muck and mire. The miracle that occurred when the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant entered the river. As soon as those priests stepped into the river, God did a miracle. The instructions to make the priest and the Ark part of the military possession transformed a seemingly silly and dangerous plan into a reminder that God would win this battle on behalf of his people. But only if they stuck to God's plan. That was the key. And then when we come to verse 5, the Lord guaranteed Joshua the outcome of his plan, provided he and the people obeyed his instructions. Okay? This is going to happen if you do this. Those were the conditions. The repeated use of seven in this verse, a number of associated with God throughout Scripture, identifies this as a spiritual exercise. God assured Joshua the city wall will collapse as a result of their obedience. In other words, by sticking to God's plan, the wall will collapse. If you don't stick to God's plan, don't expect the wall to fall. Once the walls come down, the people were to advance, each man straight ahead, the people had only to do what God told them to do. Simple. Now we say that's simple, right? But a lot of times we get simple instructions and we don't do them. Okay, as we'll see as we move on. Okay, let's have someone read the um, passages on page 32. Please. Joshua was stationed near Jericho when he had a divine encounter. God told him, look, I have handed Jericho, its king, and its fighting men over to you. This proclamation highlights the truth we need to remember. God sees situations far differently than we do. He sees the hardships in our relationships, the struggles in our workplaces, and the obstacles in our plans. But he sees so much more. God has a panoramic perspective. He sees the big picture of circumstances ahead. Thankfully, God is no passive observer. He works on our behalf to skillfully orchestrate our circumstances at just the right time. Notice God gave no great battle plans to the Israelites. In fact, he essentially told them to strap on their sandals and walk. The soldiers were to march around the city once a day for six days, while seven priests carried seven ram's horn trumpets. On the seventh day, they were to march around the city walls seven times as the priests blew the trumpets. After the seventh lap, the priests would give a blast on the horns, 
and the marchers were to give a mighty shout. Then the walls would crumble and the city would be theirs for the taking. What was at the heart of God's unconventional strategy? His presence. As the soldiers marched, they were to lead a convoy of priests who carried trumpets and the Ark of the Covenant. More soldiers would form the rear guard. Right in the middle of the marching was the unmistakable symbol of God's presence. In your own leadership journey, step back and take a look right in the middle of what you perceive to be challenges. You'll see God at work. He's doing something deeper and greater than just getting you through. He's calling you to trust him and obey because he's marching around the walls with you. Amen. Okay, here's a, an exercise now. Look at that uh, exercise on page 33. Uh, you may not be required to march around the city, but God has given us several commands through his word. Record your level of obedience for each of these scriptures. Now the level will be one being the least, ten being the most. Okay? One being the least obedient, ten being the most obedient. From one to ten. For a scripture. But I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. On a scale one to ten, which one would you mark? In terms of your obedience to that particular verse. This is God's instructions now. Now we know people who heard us, we want to hear them back, right? We want to hurt them just as much as they hurt us. So in your response to this command of God, what would you mark? Would it be a one, two, a three, a four, a five, or six, seven, eight, or nine, or ten? Okay, that's between you and the Lord. You don't have to answer that here. <laughs> okay. The next point is, don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy where thieves break in and steal, but collect for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves don't break in and steal. Again, your response of obedience to that. And then the final one, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything. Notice, everything, not some things, everything I have commanded you. Again, your response is between you and the Lord. But notice question 2 on page 32. What does it say? Which of God's commands in Scripture seem unconventional in today's culture? Now your response to those three questions will be determined by how unconventional you see God's commands in Scripture today. That's entirely how you will answer those three questions. Because a lot of times we look at the scriptures and we see what God wants us to see, to do as unconventional in the culture that we're living in. In other words, we say, well, you know, some people say scripture is irrelevant for today's culture. Okay? And we see what just happened in the United States, right? And a lot of those people think that scripture is unconventional. It's irrelevant. They can do whatever they feel like doing. You know? And I would, I would advise all of us 
to, in response to what just happened in the United States, to read Romans chapter 1, or verse 25 to the end, or verse 18, rather, to the end of the chapter. And you will see identically what is happening in the world today as it relates to Scripture. I mean, exactly, word for word, if you read Romans, you will see exactly what's happening today. What has happened? Hmm? You think so? They're going to try it. They're going to try it. You know, you know what they say, whenever the United States sneezes, we catch a cold. Okay? It's going to be a big fight. I think that's what they were trying to do with this, uh, what do they call it? The, the, the referendum thing that they were supposed to be having? That they kept, uh, what are they looking for? Not yet. But if they do, that's when they'll force it on you. Yeah, yeah. If you don't comply as a nation, they'll ban you from trade with the nations that do do it. Mm-hmm. And then you'll, you'll really be in trouble. That's, where we can, that's when we're going to find out what kind of agreements the Bahamas signed that the people don't know about. Okay, a lot of stuff they signed that we don't know. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's look at uh, the next uh, set of verses. Uh, verses 12 to 16. If we can have someone read those verses, please. Joshua got up early in the next morning, and the priests took the ark of the Lord, and the seven priests carrying seven trumpets marched in front of the ark of the Lord. While the trumpets were blowing, the armed troops went in front of them, and the rear guard went behind the ark of the Lord. On the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. Early on the seventh day, they started at dawn, and they marched around the city seven times in the same way. That was the only day they marched around the city seven times. After the seventh time, the priest blew the trumpets, and Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Okay. The prominent role of the Ark of the Lord mentioned here three times in verses uh, uh, 12 to 13 signified the presence of Yahweh in the midst of his people. The procession featured the ark of the Lord being carried by the priests immediately behind seven priests with seven trumpets. In front of the priests the armed troops marched with a rear guard following behind the ark. Thus the ark of the Lord literally was positioned in the middle of the armed troops with half of the soldiers in the front of the ark and the other half behind the ark. And what does it tell us? Truly, Yahweh was among his people. Okay, he was not a spectator. He was not on the sidelines. He was not somewhere else in oblivion giving orders and instructions. He was there in the midst of his people. And that's important for us to remember uh, when we face challenges ourselves, that uh, God is not on the sidelines giving instructions. Okay, to look at the benefits of obeying God's unconventional commands, let's, uh, let's read uh, the passages on page 34. Can you have someone read that, please? We may never know why God sometimes calls us to walk in obedience to unconventional commands, but I do see some benefits. For example, obeying God's unconventional commands trains our hearts to see things differently. 
It helps us look away from the fear of any obstacles that stand in the way. It shapes our hearts to trust God in the face of any inadequacy or doubt we might feel. It releases us from relying on our own strength and encourages us to rely on God. When viewed from this perspective, we no longer see God's commands as strange or a waste of time. Instead, God's commands are a means of shaping us into the leaders He wants us to be in our homes, workplaces, churches, and communities. Obeying God's commands is a means of changing our hearts so that our hands can accomplish what He desires. Jesus is a perfect model of obedience. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 was a hymn the early church sang about Christ. It begins with this line, Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. Verses 6 through 11 show the attitude Jesus had on earth. He exercised perfect obedience to his Father by taking the position of a slave, even to the point of dying to save all people. Do you see the connection between Jesus and Jericho? Unconventional obedience is undergirded by an attitude of trusting and wanting to please the Father so that His work is done. You have the chance to demonstrate that attitude each day, to see the task in front of you differently. Simply believe that the outcome is already in God's hands and know that He desires to shape you into the likeness of Jesus in the process of obeying Him. Okay, thank you. Notice the bullet points here uh, that he mentions uh, uh, for obeying God's unconventional commands. There are some benefits. Trains our hearts to see things differently. It helps us to look away from the fear of any obstacles that stand in our way. And many times fear becomes debilitating and causes us not to do anything. Okay, And then it shapes our hearts to trust God in face of any inadequacy or doubt. And many times we face challenges and doubt is one of the first things that raises ugly head. And then thirdly, it releases us from relying on our own strength and it encourages us to rely on God Himself. And that's very interesting for us to take note of. Question number three. When have you felt self-conscious about obeying God? When have you felt self-conscious about obeying God. Sure, we've all had that experience at some particular point in our lives, but it's something to think about and reflect on in the light of what Joshua is challenged to do and see how we feel in a situation like that. Okay, we have seen the buildup of God's unconventional commands and the Israelites' unquestioning obedience to God. They didn't question God at all. They didn't, why do we have to do this? You know, what is it, what is it going to accomplish? Why, why does this make any kind of sense? Now we're going to see the payoff in verse 20. So the people shouted, and the trumpet sounded. When they heard the blast of the trumpet, the people gave a great shout, and the wall collapsed. People advanced into the city, each man straight ahead, and they captured the city. Notice, before the walls of Jericho fell, Joshua informed them that this military victory would be 
different from any other that they'd ever seen or experienced in their lifetime. Under normal conditions, the conquering army carted off the riches, produce, and possessions of their foes as spoils of war. Joshua, however, informed the people that everything in Jericho was set apart to the Lord for destruction. Verse 17, destruction. This is a different kind of victory. Okay, they're not going to grab all the spoils and run off and, and enjoy the plunder. No. The sole exception was to Rahab the prostitute and her family. Remember her? In response to her protection of Israelite spies, she and her family were to be spared. Prophetically, Joshua warned the Israelites to keep themselves from the things set apart for destruction. Offenders would be set apart for destruction themselves, according to verse 18. Even worse, the entire camp of Israel would be set apart for destruction and the disobedience would bring disaster on it, according to verse 18 as well. Then Joshua explicitly enumerated items of silver, gold, bronze, and iron as being dedicated to the Lord, mandating that such items be placed in the Lord's sanctuary. And so we see specific instructions uh, given here. Okay, let's have someone read the other passage, the passages on page 35, please. first paragraph says they would see the hand of God move not because of their might and fighting ability not because of what they were capable of doing in and of themselves 
but because of their submission to God and faith in Him. In other words, the only way they could see this happen was by sticking to God's plan. That's the whole bottom line here. Sticking to God's plan. A lot of times, God gives a plan, He lays out a plan, His plan, and we know God's ways are always best. And even though we know that, we have this, this little idea in the back of our minds that, you know, I could do it differently. You know, I got a plan and I think my plan could work better. And so we decided that, you know, I'm going to show God better than I could tell Him. And we do things our way. And then it's a big flaw. But notice, the only way things were accomplished the way God intended it to be accomplished was by the people of God sticking to God's plan. Submission to God and faith in Him. And that brings us to the to question number five. What steps can we take to make the most of our victories in life? In light of all we've seen thus far in the study, question that each of us must answer in our lives and our personal experiences and our personal encounters is what steps can we take to make the most of our victories in life? We all want victories, right? And I don't think anybody here want to fail in anything. We want victories in everything that we do. Okay? I had the unpleasant task this past week of firing somebody, and that's not a pleasant experience. You know, but it's something that has to be done. And I had to do it because of the victories that I wanted to see accomplished. Okay? And it wasn't going to be accomplished if I didn't get rid of that person because they were not doing a good job. Okay? But we all have those, those, those experiences that we want to we wanna see victories. Physical. What ways can we maximize any kind of victory? Something to think about. The question that, that, that we're being asked here by this particular question is, uh, which, which ways do we want to maximize any kind of victory? Physical, financial, emotional, relational, and so on. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. You mm -hmm. And that's exactly what the children of, of Israel did under Joshua's command. They trusted and they obeyed. In other words, they stuck to God's plan. Be sure to, 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 to be mindful of those two words, trust and obey, if we want spiritual victories. Okay, the point, again, leaders keep doing what God tells them to do. They stick to God's plan. Let's look at live it out. Live it out on page 36. How do we apply this lesson? What do we do as a result of this lesson today in terms of the practicalities of going forward? Walk in obedience. Break the routine. We all have a routine. And um, sometimes I try to model up my routine and change it around. We all seem to be stuck with a routine. Practice doing something simple. Practice doing simple things in an unconventional way. Take a different route to work. I do that sometimes. Or skip one of your favorite shows. 
We do that sometimes, right? That may not sound spiritual, but it's good practice for making unconventional decisions. So break the routine. Then the other one is walk and pray. Select an area in your community or workplace, then spend time walking and praying for the people in that area. Repeat for several days. Okay, walk and pray. Uh, probably there's an area that you know that's always causing trouble. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had a neighbor just behind our, our property, and they had a party. And the music was so loud. Uh, windows were vibrating. You know, things in the house were shaking. You know, so my wife called the police. And the police said that, okay, they were going to come. And the music continued. So I called the police. They said, well, they're aware of it, they're going to come. But the music continued. And everything was shaking. I mean, just rattling. I mean, there was no reason why that music had to be so loud. And then um, I heard somebody said, this is my property. I can do whatever I want. Apparently the police showed up, told them to turn it down. So I called the police again. And the police said, well, you know, um, we are aware of that situation. We're dealing with another situation in another area, and we're going to get to that as soon as we're done with this one. Okay? And then I said, boy, Lord, you know, this would be a good time for BEC to cut the power off. You know, that would be a good time to cut the power off. Yes. Or, oh, Lord, probably you could just let it rain. <laughs> because everything was outside. And it started to rain. It started to rain. And I think that's probably what, what uh, subsided everything. And so I'm, I'm thinking, probably that's an area that I need to walk and pray in. Because they do this all the time. They do that all the time. And it's the same scenario. Then the third point is, talk about your walls. Identify any obstacles blocking your ability to lead well. Seek solutions by initiating a conversation with someone you trust. Okay, talk about the walls. Don't complain about the walls, talk about them. Identify the obstacles blocking your ability to lead, whatever is stopping you from leading the way God wants you to lead. Seek solutions by imitating, initiating conversations with someone that you have trust in. So to wrap up, think of Mr. Miyagi and Daniel. Mr. Miyagi handed Daniel a rag and a paintbrush, and Daniel learned obedience and trust. Joyfully accept what God hands you. Walk in obedience and anticipate what God is going to do through you. Sometimes God gives us something that we want to do. We, we want something, God gives us the tools to do it, and we, this is not what I expected. And so we, we become disobedient. But take what God gives us and use it for His purposes. And remember, the key is stick to God's plan.